Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk again with Craig B. Weldon about stories from his career in the military and his insights about successful and impactful leadership to bring the best out in your people. Craig Weldon, welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks, John. Happy to be here again. Yeah, it's great to have you back. We met a, a couple of times back before the holiday break and had some really great discussions around your career and uh, various leadership principles and how it pertains to everyday organizations and everyday leaders. And we've been looking forward to this third installment for a while, and I'm excited to, to continue the conversation and really tap into some of the insights that you share in your book uh, and and get some good uh, examples of how we can be more impactful leaders uh, with our people. I thought today we could focus and really frame this episode around leadership development through storytelling, because I know you have so many wonderful stories throughout your vast career, and uh, many of those uh, lend to some really great principles that I think will resonate with our listeners. So that'll be our focus today. As we get started, I wanted to share Craig's bio with everyone again. Craig B. Weldon's leadership journey began as an Eagle Scout at the age of 14. 30 years later, he was the youngest general in the United States Army, combined with another nine years as a member of the Senior Executive Service with the U.S. Marine Corps. He has led thousands of soldiers, sailors, Marines, and civilians while serving 10 years in Europe and another 12 years in the Pacific. In 2011, he was inducted into the Purdue University Tri-Service ROTC Hall of Fame. In March of 2019, he published Leadership, The Art of Inspiring People to Be Their Best, winning three National Book Awards and attaining number one international bestseller status on Amazon. Craig is now a global Fortune 500 speaker and lives in Bluffton, South Carolina. Welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you again. And before we dive on in, Anything that you would like to share by way of update to listeners about your your context, your current situation? Yeah, well, I happen to be in the over 65 category, so I was fortunate enough to get my first COVID shot. I got an army post, Fort Stewart, Georgia, uh, about a month ago. I get my second one on uh, Thursday. So after a year of being um, on Zoom, almost exclusively, <laughs> it's going to be uh, fun and I'm excited uh, to get back out on the speaking circuit again, I'd start doing that again in April. Yeah, I think that's great. And this is a, a wonderful opportunity for anyone listening who might uh, be interested, uh, reach out to Craig. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit as we wrap up the episode as well. But it's, it's not a bad thing to remind everyone about that opportunity uh, on the outset as well. Uh, and yeah, as, as we've already mentioned, you know, we're, it's almost 
a full year, uh, maybe another week or so until we hit the full year mark mm -hmm. for when all of the, the lockdowns and shutdowns and restrictions started to be put in place in the US due to COVID. And my goodness, I, I remember when this all started, I, I figured it was going to be a longer haul than some people were predicting, but I didn't think uh, it would be this long. And I didn't, um, I was, well, let me just say it this way. I was very hopeful that we wouldn't have um, the death toll that we've had and uh, some of the, the, the broad um, reaching uh, implications for families, both, you know, health related, obviously, but economic and, and psychological. And it's, it's just been a really hard year for people. Uh, it's nice to know that we're, a, a, you know, getting closer to coming out the other side. And uh, so we encourage people to get vaccinated, um, you know, be responsible, wear your masks. Uh, let's, let's see this thing through so that we don't see another spike before uh, things start to get, you know, really under control. And then we can get back out there. Like you said, get back out doing your work, uh, interacting with people. Um, I, I can't wait to be back with students in the classroom, for example. <laughs> um, yeah. so I think all of that is it's coming. We're, we're almost there. Let's just see it through. Well, as we dive on in to the topic for today, we've already covered in the previous two episodes different elements of your book. And I figured as we we get into um, some, some of the final chapters, you really have all these compelling stories. And that's why I thought uh, framing this around leadership development through storytelling might be a good way to go. And perhaps you can start us out by uh, talking about managing risk. You tell a, a story of almost losing your life as a young person. Tell us about that story and tell us why it's important to understand and what we can take away from that. Yeah. So when I was a teenager, I worked at a camp in England for youth. And uh, I started there at age 14 as an assistant counselor. And when I was 18, I ran a teenage adventure trip to Wales on Rapid River. And, uh, you know, I, as I reflect back on that now, mm -hmm. I wonder who in the world would put their trust, faith, and confidence in an 18-year-old to take 30 teenagers to another country to get on rapid rivers for 10 days. Well, that's exactly what they did. And I remember when I was 17 years old, the summer before that, I went up to Wales and I kind of what they call right-seated the, uh, the guy that was running it, he was a senior from Penn State, was graduating, moving on with his life. And we went down the river over the course of 10 days and I spent my time memorizing exactly where I should go. And he taught me about, uh, you know, the V's and the, in the rapids, so which way they were going and how to navigate them and all that sort of thing. And I studied the maps and so forth. And so I felt pretty confident when I came back the following summer after my freshman year in college uh, to run this trip on myself. What I didn't realize is that they had heavy, heavy rains in the spring before I got there. And the river was very different when I arrived than it was when I, when I ran the uh, test case the summer before. So I took uh, the kids out on the river. We had six canoes. Uh, there were two of people in each one, half the group of 30 people. The other half were uh, in the camp. And I remember turning a, a bend and realizing that I was about to enter a section of the rapids, which were pretty significant, and it was too late for me to get out. Now, the protocols for this were that we were going to stop 
get out of the canoes, walk up onto the side. I would walk, talk my way through, and then uh, we would set up a, a safety line uh, further down river. Uh, then I would go back with a, a, the person that was in my canoe and they would all watch me go through. And then I'd pull the canoe on the side and then we'd let them go through one at a time. So it was a very deliberate process for getting through. We didn't have that opportunity this time because by the time I realized that they were right in front of us, it was too late. So I just turned around and I yelled to everybody in back, follow me, because I had no other choice. Well, trying to make this story a little shorter, we lost two canoes. Uh, four canoers fell out, uh, went into the rapids. They all had life jackets on. Uh, they managed to get out, but one of the canoes got stuck on a boulder, on two boulders actually, got Hit, hit a boulder, turned sideways, caught another boulder, was facing upstream, the water was pouring into the canoe. Uh, and I thought at the time, wow, I can't go back to the camp director without a canoe. This was a 17 and a half foot Grumman canoe. So I picked the largest guy, uh, 15 year old, 16 year old, I don't remember exactly how old he was, but he was the biggest guy in the group that day. And I said, you and I are gonna go get that canoe. So we went upstream and I told him, keep your life jacket on, but I took mine off. <laughs> and uh, I took mine off because I thought I could maneuver more easily without the burden of having this life jacket on. We got into the water, we went down, we floated down uh, the river till we hit the canoe. We got to the canoe, we started shaking it up and down, trying to get it off of this boulder. It was about four and a half, five feet of water at that point. And the end of the canoe, broke free, started to go down river. I yelled at him, grabbed the canoe. He did, he got it. The canoe went with him. I reached out and I missed it. And the canoe went downstream with the young fellow that I had taken out there with me uh, to save the canoe and I missed it. And when I missed it, I started tumbling in the um, rapids and I had, I, I had little memory except for tumbling and tumbling and tumbling, hitting a lot of rocks along the way, thinking that I'm about to drown. And finally, I hit some calm water where I popped up and it was like one of those movies where people come out of the water and you go, <gasps> big <clears throat> breath like that. That's exactly what happened to me. But my, my legs wouldn't move, they were numb. And I managed to get to the side just using my arms, drug myself up doing a low crawl onto the side of the, the bank. And about 15 or 20 minutes later, the, the feeling started to come back in my legs. And so as I reflect back on that uh, episode, I made some stupid mistakes. One was getting into water to go recover that canoe in the first place. But let's assume that that was a risk worth taking. The stupid thing I did was took off my life jacket uh, because I really put myself at great risk. And quite frankly, I put that young person at risk as well. So as you reflect back on that, and after doing a little research and experiencing other incidents like that in the Army, um, I realized that uh, there's a portion of your brain called the prefrontal cortex, which isn't fully formed until you're about age 25. And it controls impulse inhibition, goal planning, organization. Um, it's also feeds into a reward system where young people will weigh the reward versus the risk. And oftentimes it tilts to further towards the reward uh, than the rest of us would do or that would take. 
And so I've become sensitized to the fact that people that are in an age group between 15 and 25 uh, probably are ready to take risks sometimes that are beyond their means to control and that leaders need to make particular, pay particular attention uh, to the dangers and the risks associated with whoever they're leading uh, when those incidents come up. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Yeah, I think uh, that's, that's, those are some great points. And I suppose we, everyone listening could probably reflect back on times of relative stupidity yeah. in our, in our, you know, teenage years and early adulthood where, where we just took risks that weren't even remotely warranted that didn't even seem risky at the time. Right. Yeah. Um, and so as we're leading people, that's, a, that's an important thing to keep in mind. And then just, you know, there, there's a reason why we have protocols in place. There's a reason why we have safety measures in place and, and it, it's almost always when accidents happen is when we decide to, sh- to cut corners, take shortcuts. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think of like workplace health, health and safety, OSHA types of things, you know, people complain about OSHA requirements a lot. Um, but you know, it's, it's fine to complain about it when you don't want to have to click into your harness or whatever until that accident happens. And then someone is seriously injured or, or heaven forbid even loses a life. And, and so, you know, we, we just have to, to be not only take that responsibility for ourselves as leaders, but for all of our people, I think that's, that's a great, great example. And I think also just those types of, um, experiences where we're close, where we can reflect on our own mortality and we're close to, um, you know, the, the possibility of, of death, uh, it, it can help to, to refine our focus, right. And to help us zoom in on, on what is really important. And, uh, so it's, it's good to be able to take away from those types of experiences, these, these, uh, important lessons that can shape the way we're going to lead into the future. Uh, another story you talk about in your book, uh, well, you have many, uh, and I, I guess one thing I, I want to applaud, generally speaking, is is the use of story, because I think it, it really creates a, 
a really rich um, narrative around the, these types of principles that I think tend to be more sticky in our brains as we're trying to, to think about how they might apply into our own lives. Um, another story you talk about in chapter 18, the light at the end of the tunnel, um, that's another compelling one. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what some of the main takeaways are there? Yeah, sure. When I uh, graduated from college, I married my college sweetheart. And it was shortly after uh, graduation. I was a second lieutenant. I went to Fort Hood, Texas. I came back about six months later for the wedding. We, she then accompanied me back to Fort Hood, Texas. I thought I had the perfect marriage. I certainly had the perfect wife at the time, I thought. And two years later, she left me. And I was absolutely crushed. It was the first major failure that I had had in my life. And I, quite frankly, had a very difficult time dealing with it. But one of the ways I dealt with it is I went to work and I just stayed at work because I didn't want to go home and look at those empty four walls uh, in this difficult time. I think I was about 22 or 23 years old at the time. I was a battalion maintenance officer for a tank battalion at Fort Hood, Texas. And my office was in the motor pool where we had 58 tanks and about another 50 vehicles. And I was responsible for ensuring uh, the maintenance of these tanks so that they were fully operational. And so I was down in the motor pool doing paperwork on a Friday night at 7.30 by myself. The only other people there were the gate guards. Uh, we had guards that kind of guarded the motor pool and in walked the brigade commander. Now for your listeners, the brigade commander was about five levels above me. He commanded 4,000 soldiers. I was just one of them. We had never met before. And he walked into the motor pool and he said, Lieutenant, let's go take a walk in the motor pool. And I thought, what a perfect storm of bad luck. You know, here I am going through all these difficult personal problems and I'm dealing with it by staying at work and in walks the brigade commander who's going to do an inspection on the motor pool now. So I got up from my desk. We walked up and down the tank line for 25 or 30 minutes. He never once talked about maintenance. He never once talked about my personal problem. He talked about the challenges that he had faced in his life and how he had overcome them. And when we got back to the front gate of the motor pool, he put his arm on my shoulder and he said, there's light at the end of this tunnel. You just can't see it yet. Have a good weekend. And he left. And he took me out of the depths of despair that I was in because it demonstrated to me that a senior leader, a full colonel, the brigade commander, who later retired as a three-star general, cared about everybody in his organization enough to come down on a Friday night at 7.30 and find me after he had been told that I was going through some personal problems and give me one of those uh, buck-up talks, if you will. And I've never forgotten that, how important that was to me personally. So let's fast forward. Six months later, I've left Fort Hood. I'm at Fort Knox, Kentucky. And I meet a young lady, 22-year-old Karen Lusk, who now has been my wife for 44 years. And I cannot imagine life turning out differently than it has. I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel in 1976, but it was there. And as I reflect back in the last 40 plus years, with her, with two wonderful kids, with the finest grandchild on the planet. I just can't imagine life turning out differently than it was. So I guess the message there is that when people are in a dark place and they're going through difficult times, there is often light at the end of the tunnel. You just can't see it yet. 
the rest of that story is that when I was a battalion commander, uh, about 12 years later, I was at Fort Knox, Kentucky. Uh, I had about a thousand soldiers and I learned that retired army three-star general, Jack Woodmansey, who was the fellow that took that walk with me that night was coming to Fort Knox on a, on a visit. And I called the protocol office on base and I said, hey, I used to work for Colonel, then Colonel Woodmansey, now retired General Woodmansey, and I'd love for him to come down and talk to my officers about leadership. Can you ask him if he'd be willing to do that? They did, he agreed, he came down. And when I introduced him to my 45 to 50 officers, I told them the story of our walk in the motor pool that night and how much that had meant to me. And I've carried that rock in my rucksack, uh, that technique uh, for looking out for everybody in your organization ever since that uh, occurred. What a beautiful example of personalized attention and genuine caring. Uh, like, like you said, I mean, this person who's like many, many rungs above you, um, nobody expects him to do this. He's not really going to get, like, it's not going to do anything for him professionally, right? Um, it's not like he had a camera crew there following him so they could get that the money shot of him looking like he's compassionate or something and then spin that into some PR or something. He, he just did it because he cared, genuinely cared. And I imagine if he did that for you, he probably did that for countless other people over the course of his career. What a beautiful example of servant leadership and genuine caring and compassion and empathy towards your people. Uh, you know, I, I think, I, I wish, you know, I, I had more people like that in my life, more uh, genuine leaders like that. Um, I actually wrote an article about this uh, very uh, message um, that came out uh, just a few days ago. And I lamented the fact that unfortunately, I, I can't point to very many uh, of those individuals, um, which makes it all the more special when it does happen. I can think of a couple and it's the rarity, but when it happens, uh, it's so impactful. And that's why we need more uh, people like that who can show genuine compassion, genuine caring. Uh, and it was a great lesson for you to learn, not only to help you in your personal life at that stage in your career, but from a leadership standpoint, for you to be able to take that and become, you know, pay it forward and become one of those um, exceptional leaders that would do something similar for your people as you moved through your career and hopefully spread the seeds, you know, plant the seeds and, and yeah. spread that, that approach where more and more people are willing to take that, that, that specialized personalized attention um, to every single person that is under your stewardship. Yeah. For your readers, that's the sample chapter in my book that you can read for free at my website, craigweldon.com. Just go to the book tab, click on the sample chapter, the light at the end of the tunnel. I tell that story and a few others in that chapter. Yeah. I, I tell that story when I talk to groups as well. And it's, it's impactful because I've had people come up to me after my presentation, sometimes in tears, uh, happy tears, quite frankly, because they are glad to know that they're not the only person that is going through those kinds of difficult times, uh, that there's somebody else, particularly somebody as, as senior uh, as, as I am. You know, we all, we all have had challenges in our life, every single one of us. 
I mean, I have not met anybody that hasn't had a challenge in their life. And I think leaders need to recognize that everybody in their organization has had those kinds of challenges in their life. Exactly. Every single person has their stuff, right? Uh, it looks differently uh, in every home, uh, every family, every person that we work with, it manifests differently, but it's there. Everyone has those challenges and everyone needs compassion. Everyone needs um, genuine caring and leaders who can do that um, create a safe, sustainable environment where everyone has an opportunity to thrive and to grow and develop into their best selves, which helps the organization uh, maximize its potential and it helps the leader to maximize their potential. Uh, and so it, it does take exceptional care, right? Uh, it, it, you're, you're, in your example on a Friday night, um, that, that represents sacrifice on his part that he would do that. Um, it takes exceptional care, but when you consistently do that over time, it just creates uh, such a rich, wonderful environment. Well, Craig, we could go on and on, and perhaps I need to have you back again because we still have more <laughs> to talk about, didn't get into all of it, um, but I appreciate you sharing those stories with us today. I hope listeners will consider those lessons and, and think of other types of examples that you have all experienced in your own professional lives. And how can you share those principles with those you lead via story? Because I think it's a powerful and compelling uh, mode to, to get those principles across. Before we close today though, Craig, I, I do wanna give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, your speaking, your book, uh, and then we'll close for today. Yeah, I'm, well, craigweldon.com, it's spelled W-H-E-L-D-E-N, not D-O-N. Many people misspell it. craigweldon.com is my website. I tell people, if you go there, you'll get a window into my soul because <laughs> you'll learn an awful lot about me on my website through testimonials, the book reviews, uh, the podcasts, the blogs uh, that I've done. Uh, there's a demo tape there for speaking, um, uh, but I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find, and I rarely turn down an invitation to connect with people on LinkedIn. So um, I'm easy to find. Um, just Google me, and one or the other will pop up uh, right at the top. Excellent, Craig. I really appreciate you taking time again to join us and to share more of your experiences, your insights uh, with all of us. I hope listeners will reach out, get connected, find out more about what Craig can do for you. Check out his book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.